Welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. have your Bibles, please take them and turn to the book of Philippians today, the book of Philippians, as we kick off uh, our series called the Find Your Tribe series. And uh, I have all kinds of questions about what is the tribe and who's, who's my tribe, where's my tribe. And I will get into all that in just a few moments, but the way I walk through a book is break that book up into several series, and the first one will be about the tribe, Find Your Tribe. And uh, it's all the way through chapter one of the book of Philippians. By the time we get to chapter two, we're in a whole new series. And they all work together so that by the time that we're in the end end of this great, great letter, you have four large keys to living the Christian life. And uh, we're going to be excited to walk through this together. Please stand with me as we read Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse one, which is all we're going to cover all the way through verse 8. Now, you may notice a little different look today um, because we have a little bit of a hardware problem, and and so my image will not be on the screen, so you have to look directly at me, which is unfortunate for you, but that's how it will have to be. I'm told I look better from a distance anyway, so I'm sure it'll all work out in the end, but uh, it's a little different look today, but uh, just know we'll be back uh, with our regular programming next week. All right, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses, but the first verse is all we're focused on this morning. And here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now, this is the first of three you alls. This is definitely a Texas letter, and you'll see how that unfolds in a moment. Every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You just can't avoid the y'alls in this, can you? All right. So we've got this amazing letter that Paul is writing to a group of people, a small church in Philippi, And we're asking, what does that mean for us? Father, today in Jesus' name, I pray you'll bless this reading, bless this letter from Paul to Philippi. Bless this word today. Help us to know, Father, what a tribe is, what our tribe is, what it means to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit illumine the passages, not only for our understanding, but also illumine our hearts to know what we need to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. A tribe is kind of a a popular term today. I think it's a popular term because people are looking for those those niche relationships that kind of fit them. Where's my tribe? Uh, Where's my tribe of uh, a certain kind of football fan that roots for the same team as I root for? Or where's the tribe uh, of people that have the same common interest I have? 
But a greater question to ask is, where's my tribe for those that have a common faith with me, who have common beliefs with me, a common source of truth with me? And when we talk about the tribe that way, we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, which is what Paul is doing, writing a letter to a church, to a tribe of people at a community called Philippi. Now today, as I walk through this text today, it's really going to focus simply on verse 1, and I'm going to rant just a little bit. Now the definition of a rant is someone speaking negatively about something else, but I'm going to flip that a bit. I'm going to speak positively about something else, and that something else is the church of Jesus Christ. Are you with me today in that you hear people today criticizing the church in so many ways for so many things and so much disillusionment and disappointment sometimes, and and that may be the experience of many, but when I look at the church in over 40-some years of pastoring, I look back and I have a rant in a positive way. I, I believe the church is the greatest organization on the planet to accomplish what God wants in the kingdom of God. The church is the place and the way and sometimes the means for the God to get to a person where they can find Jesus personally and come to faith in Christ, forgiveness of sin, have a home in eternity because of the witness of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the author of salvation, but we are the, the ambassadors for Christ who are sharing that message. And I'm going to rant in a positive way, so just forgive me if I rant. If you're with me, just say amen today. That'd be a good way to say that. So as Paul opens this letter up, he begins to talk about the church in very simple ways and, in a sense, in an organized fashion, showing how the church unfolds. And, and I want you to see today what he does in describing what the tribe or what the church of Jesus Christ is as he writes to the people at Philippi. So I'm going to break it down in three different ways. First of all, I want you to notice that the tribe is a people sent to reach, a people sent to reach. It begins with Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. And that answers the question, where did this letter come from? It came from the apostle, whose name is Paul, and Timothy, who was his son in the faith. And Paul was an apostle sent out by the church at Antioch in order to take the gospel wherever he could go. And we're going to hear the story of how that unfolds in just a few moments. But the important piece of this is that God raised this man, Paul, up to be a, an apostle and a sent out one. In the original language, uh, apostolo is really the word for apostle. It almost transliterates exactly, but it means one sent out. So here's Paul. He's been sent out, and when you read about the missionary journeys of Paul uh, and the churches that were established as a result of that, he's just doing what God called him to do. He was sent to reach. But here's what's interesting about this line here. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Now, you would think that the Apostle Paul, who is the one uh, that we attribute most of the writing of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is coming from, you would think that he would have a little bit more ambitious title, a little bit more honorable title for him. But here's how he introduces himself to a group of people <clears throat> who knew him really well. He says, bondservants of Christ Jesus. And I want you to pause for just a moment about that, that title for a second. I want you to think about that when it comes to great, high, honorable church leadership that God is using in powerful ways who would embrace this title, this word, this description. The word bondservant shows that leadership in the church was not a title of ambition or honor, but of sacrifice and service to the Lord and to the church. 
The most honorable leader in the kingdom of God today is the greatest servant in the kingdom of God today. It's not the most famous. It's not the most celebrity. It's not the pastor or leader who preaches to more people than anyone else. It is the one who serves the pleasure of the Lord and the need of the people in the greatest way where they can claim the title bond servants of Jesus Christ. Now, when a person's been there, as Paul has been there, for him to use the title bond servant and be a hypocritical kind of title because he didn't live it out, it would be counterproductive for his letter. So he writes a title and claims to be bond servant, and the people knew he was saying the, thing, the truth, that he was truly a bond servant to them. Now, it's important for you to know that because as you view leaders in the kingdom of God, they need to be able to fit that title and that description of being a bondservant. A bondservant simply means we have no rights of our own. It simply means that we have met the master that we're willing to serve. And the Old Testament version of the bondservant was a slave that found an owner who would so take care of he and his family that he would step up and voluntarily take it all, pierce his ear on the doorframe and say, I'm a bondservant with you for life. And I think you as a believer in Jesus Christ can understand that context and that meaning. And you probably in the same way say, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ for life because of what he's done for me on the cross. Amen. We're not bondservants because we hope to get something. We're bondservants because we already have something. And that's our salvation, our, our forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you with me this morning? So bond servants of Christ is how he begins to describe that. And as you read the story of how the Philippian church was begun, you realize that Paul truly is a bond servant. Because the church began as a result of the Macedonian vision. How many of you have heard that term before? The Macedonian vision. In Acts chapter 16 and following, Paul and Timothy and Silas and most believe Luke was there, the author of Acts as well. They were praying about where they were to go with the gospel. They knew they were sent out, but they didn't know exactly where they needed to go yet. They hadn't gotten the final direction from God just yet. So they went in one direction and the door was closed another direction and the Holy Spirit forbade them to go that way. Still a third direction and still no open door. And finally in the night, as the scripture describes it, Paul received a vision in the night a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so the next morning he gets up and he says to those companions of his, the Lord showed me this dream, this vision of a man calling us to Macedonia, which was the furthest distance from all these other places they were trying to go across the sea over to Macedonia. And these men got together and prayed and they came to a common conclusion that God was calling them to this place called Macedonia. And what happened as a result of that was the planting of a church at Philippi. So we have sent out ones that really begin churches. Now, I think it's really important for us to take just a moment and say every church was begun by someone that was sent out to plant seeds of the gospel so that someone could come to faith in Christ. And for Philippi, it was this group of super church planters. You know these guys. If you read your Bible, you know about Paul. You know about Timothy. You know about Silas. And you'll read, if you read Acts 16, them singing hymns in prison with Paul. He's famous for that duet in prison, that open prison door. And then you've got the Gospel of Luke, and you've got the Book of Acts, which is Luke's authorship as well. But that's how Christianity advanced. God sends people out 
to reach other people. This church was begun by someone who was sent out to reach the people of this area. Our church was begun in 1904. Nobody in the room was here at that time. 1904. It was begun about a mile away from here where the McDonald's is on uh, Main Street and 183. The person that planted that church planted it uh, in the home uh, of a lady whose last name was Jordan, or Jornigan, Jornigan. And she was the great, great grandmother of Sherry Green who attends here now. When that church was planted, it was actually on the front porch of Mrs. Jernigan's home, and there were a grand total of 18 people in the city of Eulis. Now, I'm thinking, you know, anybody that church, plants a church where there's a community of only 18 people really must have a burden for those 18 people. 18 people. But more than that, they were sent by God, so God knew what the future of this city would be like, right? We don't know what's in the future, but God does. And so they planted a church where there was a community of 18 people, and a handful of them started, and from there it just kept on going. And, of course, the city kept going. The airport came. The community grew, and all of a sudden we're in the middle of a thriving metropolis with the gospel of Jesus Christ sharing everywhere we go with people from all over the world. I thank God for people who are sent out by God to plant seeds of the gospel so that a thriving church community can take place. And what we do is essentially the same. This church has planted a number of smaller churches in the area today. I just got back from our North Campus where we ordained two deacons there uh, at the North Campus today. And the reason we do that is because we know a gospel witness in that population area needs to happen. A few years ago, I met a man who was sent out from a church in India, and he had personally been responsible for planting 2,000 congregations in about 20 years. Can you imagine 2,000 churches in 20 years? Yeah, somebody clap. That's a hero of the faith right there. So when we talk about a tribe, we talk about how it begins, and it begins, first of all, by people sent to reach. Most of you realize this, that our name is Cross City Church, but we're also a part of a, uh, a, a denomination of more than 48,000 different churches called the Southern Baptist Convention. And over the last 10 years, 10,000 church plants have been planted successfully through this cooperation of churches all over America. In addition to that, 21,000 new congregations were planted overseas through the International Mission Board. I mean, that's a pretty significant thing for all over the world. Churches begin to be planted because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're really a part of that. You're really a part of that by being a part of this church. I mean, that's exciting to me to know we're part of something bigger than ourselves to impact more people than we can possibly imagine. And, and that's what happens when God uses the church. He sends people out to begin that church. But let's scale back for just a moment. The church at Philippi in its early days never became large at all, and yet was a very influential church. A church planted in a, a thriving Roman colony. And most soldiers who retired in that area retired to Philippi. There was a church built around a gold mine 
It wasn't a wealthy church, but a gold buying was in the area. They actually minted the coins that the Romans used, the gold coin. And so it was an influential area where the gospel was planted there. Philippi has a Roman feel to it. When, when Paul was in prison, he appealed to his Roman citizenship because of that very thing. And God was at work there. But what you need to know is that this church never reached more than 100 people at all. And yet God used the church at Philippi to impact many, many in that region. And it was the very first church in Europe. If Paul had not received the Macedonian vision, if he had not gone across, if he had not planted seeds of the gospel on the other side of the sea, you have to wonder which direction that the church would have taken from that point on. But as it were, it eventually reached you because Paul heard the Macedonian vision and went west and eventually up to the area that we call Great Britain today and then across the sea. You know, God strung all this together so that ultimately you could hear about Jesus Christ and know him as Lord and Savior. Your tribe has come a long way to help you be part of the church of Jesus Christ. So this little church of about 100 was getting a letter from Paul. When you read this letter, it's helpful to you for you to know it's not a large church. It's not a mega church. When you read this letter, read it in small group form. Read it as one of 75 or 100 people or read it as a small group of people. And that's why we like to bring people into small groups so you can know somebody's name and you can walk with them and pray with them and they can help you carry you through the tough times in life. And that's, that's what the church is all about. Amen. But when you read it, read it that way. Secondly, the tribe involves people set apart to salvation. Notice what's next. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now, I know you've heard this many times, but who are the saints? The question, who are the saints, can be answered by saying those who make up the tribe called the church. The word saint actually means one set apart or consecrated, one made clean and pure. I like that term personally, even though we don't think that we feel like saints most of the time. Most of you would not say when you introduce yourself to somebody else, hey, my name is John, I'm a saint. That wouldn't come across well, would it? It wouldn't make a lot of sense. But if you know the word saint means one set apart, one called out, one made clean, one made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ, you would know that's accurate. That's accurate terminology. And so if you understand that's accurate terminology, how many saints do we have in the room today? Are you a saint of God? Would you raise your hand if you're a saint of Jesus Christ? There you go. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. You're a saint. Even though sometimes you don't act like you are. You're a saint even if someone else says you ain't. You're a saint because you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He makes you a saint. You don't make you a saint. He makes you clean. You don't make you clean. So here Paul is writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And this is what the cross does for us. It changes us from being a sinner to being a saint. And Paul could have said to all the sinners who are at Philippi, and everybody would have nodded their head and said, yeah, I know what he means. But because of Jesus Christ in their life, that's not how your term, ter the terminology doesn't work on you anymore. Do I still sin? Yes, I still sin. Do I sin more than I want to sin? Yes, I sin more than I want to sin. Am I only a sinner? No, I'm not. I'm a sinner saved and now a saint. Amen. And so are you. Yes. So Paul writes to a group of people that we're going to come to know as a tribe or the church of Jesus Christ, and they are saints. 
So the way this all began, when he heard the Macedonian vision, he came across, and he couldn't find a gathering spot where people were gathering, but he went down by the river, and there was a a lady named Lydia who was meeting with a group of other God-seekers, and they were praying. And as Paul and Silas and Timothy and and Luke come across and get up on that riverbank there, they see these women, and they realize they have a welcome audience there, and they share the gospel with them. They tell them about Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verses 14 and 15 of Acts 16, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So all he did was bring a gospel witness, and God had already prepared her heart. And when she and her household had been baptized, that is, after they responded by faith, they were baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and stay. This church began the same way as that church did. Come into my house, come on my porch and stay and meet, and let's tell other people about what I just heard about Jesus Christ. Now, that's extremely interesting to me to watch how small that seems to begin and yet how big of an impact it has on people's lives. Saints are set apart. The church is the term that's used for people who are called out from the world. Paul uses it in chapter 4 and verse 15 and other places. But you're the saint and you are the church. You're born into your biological family, but you're born again into your spiritual family, and that makes you a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And you have brothers and sisters from other mothers and dads, but you all have one Father, and that is God the Father, who birthed you into the kingdom of God. Isn't that a great thing to celebrate today? You're a part of the tribe of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't really matter what your biological family was like. Sam had great biological families. I had a phenomenal father, a phenomenal mother. And when I was born, I was born into that family. But when I was born again, I was born into a perfect father situation. My heavenly father would make up for anything that my earthly father had gaps on. If you were born into a really rough biological family, you get the same spiritual father that I do. And your father will take care of you in every way. He will watch over you. He will become more important to you than anybody else biologically is to you. Your spiritual family will be of greater importance to you than you can possibly imagine. And that's why we use the word tribe because it's our tribe. We are a part of this people. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, is writing about the church itself and He's trying to give the folks in his day an idea of what they are, who they are. And he reaches all the way back into the Old Testament to describe who the church is. And, and I want you to notice his words here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he said, But you are a chosen people, a, ro- a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I love that. I love that idea that God loves me so much that I'm his possession. I belong to him and he belongs to me. A people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people at all, but now you are the people of God. Man, what a great line. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
That's the tribe right there. That's the church of Jesus Christ, as Peter describes it. And he's using the Old Testament to illustrate the New Testament principle of the family of God. Now, what Peter was doing was quoting the book of Deuteronomy, where God calls Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of sin, and out of bondage. Remember, Moses, Moses goes and leads them out, the plagues, the Egyptians chase after them, the parting of the sea, all that. And God says, you once were not a people at all. Now you are a people. You once had no identity at all. Now you're the people of God. You're my people. You're my people. So Peter uses that to say, those of us who have put our faith in Christ Jesus, we're now a part of what God says, my people. My people. So if I ask you, who are your people? Your answer needs to be, I'm God's people. I'm part of God's people. God's my father. My family is a family of faith. I'm part of the tribe that he has set out for me. I'm part of the church of Jesus Christ. I've been called out of the world. I've been set apart from where I was, and I am now part of the tribe of Jesus Christ, the, the, the family of God. Amen. Now, some of us have read the Old Testament book of Ruth, and, and it's a phenomenal book, a great story of Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is widowed, and Ruth is her daughter-in-law. Now Ruth's husband has died as well. It was a rough world. And so the other daughter of Naomi said, I'm going to go back to my people. And Ruth says, I'm going to stay with Naomi. I'm going to stay with you. And Naomi says, no, you need to go back to your people. You need to go back to where you came from. And she makes this great, great statement. Ruth responds with this great, great statement that, that we hear about in weddings. We hear about it uh, when we describe really special relationships. And I want you to read what it is because it really describes who we are. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Amen. What a great picture of the importance of you needing to know who your people are. Amen. What a great picture of being committed to someone who's a part of your tribe, a part of your people. Over the last few years, I've been sharing these five questions that I believe God placed on my heart as the five most important questions people can ask and answer. And if you don't have the answers to these, you're going to be moving in a direction far from where you need to be. And the first question is, who is God and what is truth? You've got to settle that from the beginning. Who is God and what is truth? You don't answer that question accurately. It's almost impossible to predict where you'll end up, but it won't be good. A second question is, what is my purpose in life? You need to know your purpose in life. A, thir a third question is, what was I created to be? We spent some time talking about two weeks ago. What was I created to be in, in, in God's revelation and God's creating me in the first place? The fourth question is about relationships. Can I have healthy relationships? Do I know what they are? Do I know how to have them? But the fifth question of those five, and the one we're focusing on right here, is the question, who are my people? Who do I look around me and see as my people in a world that's filled with people? You have relationships at work. You have relationships in the neighborhood. You have relationships with biological family. You have, have relationships that are friends from the past. You have Facebook friends. You have followers on Twitter. You have all kinds of people that are around you. But who are your people? Do you know who your people are? 
people you can count on, people who will give you wise counsel, people who will stand with you in the tough time and, and, and rejoice in the great time. Do you have those people around you because you were created for a people? That's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. That's who Paul is writing to, to all the saints at Philippi. That's what he's saying. You've got to have a people. Could you imagine that 75 people in that Roman city with all the Roman influence, with all the soldiers and all of the secular approaches to life and the Greek influence of mythology and, and, and hedonism and all those other things. Can you imagine them thriving without the church? They could not thrive without the church. And the reason Paul said in verse 6, I'm confident of this very thing. He that began a good work in you all will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You need the church. You need the tribe that is around you. Amen. God has always had a people for his people. And the more you read the Bible, the more you understand it. So the church is your tribe, your people, your spiritual family, from which you get comfort, encouragement, counsel, warning, and everything else you need. In the tribe, we have common faith. We have common truth. We have a common book that we hold on to, common values. We have a common purpose. We have a common mission. We have a common future in heaven. One day we'll be in heaven together with all the saints rejoicing and worshiping the Lord that brought us there for time and time forever and ever without end. Yes. All those things are part of what we call the forever family. Now, you may be new to Christ. You may be new to this community. You may be new to this church, but I'm going to tell you something. If you are in this church today and you are a part of this church as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are home. This is your family. This is the family of faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm glad I have a family of faith. Aren't you glad you have a family of faith? And that's what God has done in bringing the church together. You need to know, you need to get to know your family in faith. Most of you know that my, uh, my mother-in-law passed away uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I were preparing for the funeral and getting some photos put together on slide, photos on slide, so that we could show everyone just kind of what Dixie, that was her name, what Dixie was like from, you know, early girlhood onward. And as we were talking, we were talking about the move that their family made from Missouri to uh, Texas. And they settled in Irving, Texas uh, when Kim was a little girl. And they joined a church not far from them called MacArthur Boulevard Baptist Church. And uh, in that church at that time, God was moving in such a big way. Ron Dunn was the pastor, and I've quoted him so many times. You're probably tired of hearing his name, Ron Dunn, but man, what an influence he was. And I knew nothing about this church, of course. I grew up in Oklahoma, you know, the promised land. That's where I was. <laughs> My wife was in Texas. We were talking about her upbringing. And as we talked about the church, she kind of said something under her breath, not really communicating to me, but just saying what she felt. She said, man, that was the best decision my family ever made to join that church. That was the best decision we made because there I found faith. I've learned how to grow in faith. I heard incredible teaching and preaching. I learned to worship. I met people who are part of my friendship circles. I watched my family and God at work in my family, man, that was the best decision we ever made. Now, my wife is a wise woman, and she doesn't often make a lot of statements like that that are absolute, but when she does, then she's right on target. Amen. What a great decision to surround yourself with a family of faith. 
That'll help you during all those times when you wonder, where is my tribe? Where is my family? Now remember, this letter is written for the church to find the joy of God. Joy that he has for us. And I I shared four things last week that I'll, I'll run through very quickly. These four things are essential. His people, his perspective, that is a mindset that we're to be serving others. His purpose that he has for each one of us, his presence, all those things are important for your joy. And we'll, we'll cover these over the course of many weeks. But the bottom line is, his people are a big part of that. You won't find joy fulfilled without the people that God is intending to surround you with unless you allow that to happen. And what you experience, you experience in the church in a fruitful way is one of those things that you look back and say, man, that was a great decision be a part of a family of faith you can't do it alone he never said you could why are you trying not only is it people sent out by God not only is the tribe people set apart to salvation but it's also people selected to lead you see the last line there it says including the overseers and deacons so God wants his people cared for That's what these two titles describe. Overseers refer to pastors and shepherds who lead and feed the flock, while deacons refer to servant leaders who support and care for them. And they really began to do this at the beginning. Full of the Holy Spirit, they were seeing this church expand rapidly. 3,000 were saved and baptized at Pentecost, and, and all of a sudden ministry was happening, and needs were taking place. And very early on in Acts chapter 6, There was a group of widows who were being neglected in the daily serving of food. They were actually serving food day by day because of the conditions in Jerusalem at the time. And the apostles just ran out of energy in doing it. They just couldn't do it all. And so here's what they said in Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The qualifications for overseers and deacons are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can look at that at another time. But the reason for all this is to meet needs and shepherd the flock because God wants his people cared for. You say, were overseers and deacons the only ones that do this? Absolutely not. But they are called to do this alongside the rest of the congregation. Because God wants his, his tribe encouraged or warned, or taught, or prayed for. He wants their needs met in every way. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, called himself a spiritual father, and yet at the same time, gentle as a nursing mother. That's kind of an interesting term there. I'm going to love on you like a spiritual mom and a spiritual dad, and that's what overseers, deacons, and the rest of the congregation are to do. Now, you notice the first part of that line He's writing to all the saints, and then he says, including the overseers and the deacon. The word including simply helps us be reminded that God, when he he sees the church, sees us all as one. There are not two classes, three classes, four classes of people. We're just all saints. And next week, when you hear my y'all message, you'll understand that better. (laughs) We're all part of the body of Christ. But God does raise some up to lead in certain ways. I'm very thankful to be a a senior pastor here or an overseer here. I was doing some calculating the other day. 
Do you realize that this church has only had four senior pastors in the last 60 years? 60 years. And the interesting thing about it is three of them are still in the church. Two are retired. I'm just tired, not retired, just tired. (laughs) I preach in in a service at 830 where Dr. Bill Anderson, Dr. Jimmy Draper are. They still have an incredible love for this church. They give me all kinds of advice on how to lead it. And it's always welcome. It's always welcome. Countless pastors over the years have been here in various support rows. Hundreds of deacons have worked together to meet the needs of the church. And all that because God set this up from the beginning to care for his body. You don't want to know the value of a tribe. The value of a tribe is that God calls people out of the body to help meet the needs of the body in a very personal way in order to represent his love for you through those leaders. Ideally, that's how a church operates. And that allows all of us to love one another in an incredible way that supersedes anything the world has to offer. That means there, there needs to be love in the church, and there is love in the church between pastors and deacons and congregation that help change the world. There's love, and we all work together to help raise children whose parents bring them. We're part of the discipleship process as we teach them to know Jesus and to know the love and the joy of the Lord in the tribe. Of course, we don't take the role or take the place of parents, but we come alongside them and hope and uh, encourage them and pray for them. We, we love caring for widows because God has given us the responsibility to do that. We love helping people struggling with finances and equipping them for the word for life in general. We love doing all those things at the church. We look out for one another. And that's what the tribe is supposed to do. You need to know people have your back. Amen. I'm going to tell a story that I don't often tell this kind of story, but uh, some time ago a widow in this church um, had been widowed for several years, and she met a man on Facebook, which always is the way to have successful relationships, right? You meet somebody <laughs> on Facebook. And this guy, without having ever met her, proposed online. So uh, I found out about it from a deacon that had been calling her and, and encouraging her in, in every way. So uh, we put on our detective glasses, and we did some investigation. And we made the right phone calls and found out that this guy was not going to be a threat to her. He was independently wealthy. He didn't need her money. He didn't need anything she had, but really began to connect on Facebook. And, and I called her one day and, and talked through a phone conversation with her with, with another person in the room to help me kind of read between the lines. And at the end of my interrogation, which is what I would call it, I asked her like 40 questions about her finances, about this guy, about all these things. I said, do you understand why I'm asking these questions? Because she got kind of quiet, and I thought, she's going to hang up on me. (laughs) And she didn't even hesitate. She said, because you love me. And I said, you know who gave me your name? She said, that deacon, he loves me too. (laughs) I said, you're right. All we want to do is make sure you're fine. And if you're fine, we're fine. But if you're not, we're not. You know, that ought to happen every day in the tribe. That kind of thing ought to happen all around us where we're looking out for someone, where we're, we're, we're looking out for their well-being. That kind of stuff inside the church. I've not even gotten started. I've not got on my rant yet. Think about what happens outside the church. When I think about what happens outside the church, it's really incredible what the tribe of the people of Jesus Christ 
see God do through, through them outside the walls of the church. And when I hear criticism about the church being insensitive or judgmental or selfish or something like that or being out of touch, I say, where do you get your information? Because the experience I have is very different from that. Because I see a church, not just this one, but certainly this one that's helped feed more than 40,000 people a year for decades now. We have done that and continue to do that as the Church of Jesus Christ at Cross City Church. I've seen a church that's rescued, helped rescue 38,000 babies in the last 40 years through MCWC, which we helped fund and which we had started years ago, who helps people with grieving who gives counsel to those that are in confusion. A church that's helped repair and rebuild more than 900 homes in the last 12 years in this community. A church that embraces new moms at decision points and help them know what's next. Come alongside teenagers that may have no support at home, no help at home, maybe not even even parents at home, and give them love. A tribe that goes into schools after school and teaches Bible clubs and teaches kids what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm a part of a church that dug wells in India to feed villages that didn't have any water at all and watched them celebrate as that water came bubbling up out of that well. I've seen us go disaster, disaster relief in Haiti when nobody else was going and nobody else wanted to go. We feed clean water, provide clean water to more than 50,000 people in the, in the largest slum in the world in Africa, and we do do it at our own expense. Who else does that? And I say to you, nobody else does that but the church of Jesus Christ. And we do it around the world, no matter who it is. A few years ago, when we started Six Stones, I sat down with Gary McCamey, the city manager, and we asked a question. Several of our leaders asked the question, what can we do to bless the city? And he said, there are so many homes in this city, viewless, that were under code, the people couldn't afford to upgrade their homes. They were being fined. In some cases, they were losing their homes. He said, if you could come alongside and help these homes be repaired, then you're free to help them know the message of whatever you would share with them. And of course, Gary was a member of this church, and he was basically saying, you can share the gospel with them if you'll help them rebuild their homes. And as it started, we started this, and it's now called CPR, Community Powered Revitalization. But as we started this, I said, it's going to cost a lot of money, Gary. He said, you know what? The government has money, but the government doesn't have manpower. Right. We can't find volunteers who care enough about these people who come out and rebuild their homes for them. He said, do you think you could find that in your church? And I said, we can find that in this church. We can find this in the, in the group of churches. Now more than 100 now walk with six stones. 900 homes later, we're doing what the government can't do. We're doing what the church of Jesus Christ can't do. I'm just giving you examples of what the church does, and maybe you never see it, and maybe you never hear about it. When someone pops up and says this or that about it, they, they don't maybe really know what's going on, but the tribe of believers in Jesus Christ do this inside their community of faith and outside their community of faith in their physical community in which they live, and we do that for the cause of Christ, for the opportunity of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor J. John's who has kind of gotten notoriety for a few Facebook messages, and, and some of them are very, very good, was frequently asked the question in his travels, what do you do? And whenever he answered that question, it was sometimes awkward because when he said, I'm a pastor, then people you know, shut down or something. And so he, he got the perfect answer for that. And here's what he said he says when people say, what do you do? He said, I work for a global enterprise. 
We've got outlets in every, every country of the world. We've got hospitals, hospices, homeless shelters, orphanages. We do marriage work. We have feeding programs. We do justice work. Basically, we look after people from birth to death, and we deal with the area of behavioral alterations. And the lady he asked, or he was talking to, he said, well, what's it called? He said, the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what we do all around the world. And we do it free of charge for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus. I heard a speaker say something recently, and I'm going to repeat it to you, and then I'm done. He said, the church on her worst day is still the best thing that's happening in this world. You think, you think about the world that needs hope. They need love. They need truth. The church on her worst day is better than any other organization on this planet. It's not because we're great. It's because he is. Amen. It's because Jesus Christ, yes, God the Father, called us to live in a different way. Yes. And he's calling you to be a part of his tribe. Circle back around. Amen. Are you part of the tribe? Do you know you're in the tribe? Yes. Do you know you're in the church and that God is your father? And this is a family of faith. And when you wonder where are your people, do you know where you can go to find them? Yeah. You come right here. Right. The relationships you build here, the influence you feel here will guide your life on the path that God has for you if you begin that relationship with him. I've got to close. I could keep going with this little rant, but I could close. <laughs> and let me just tell you this. At the end of this service, at the end of my prayer, I encourage you, if you've not made the decision to put your faith and trust in Christ, to stop at a decision station, talk to someone, say, I need to make sure I'm part of this tribe, part of this church, part of the faith in Jesus Christ family. And if that's never happened to you, we would rejoice to let that happen and help you let that happen today. The decision that you need to make on your own. We invite you to that. I invite you to our guest reception room outside the center exit doors across the hallway, glassed-in room. I'd love to tell you more about Cross City Church and, and how to be a bigger part of that if you want. I invite you to come back next week as we get into those other verses about the tribe and what it means to be a tribe of Jesus Christ. But right now, would you stand with me and let's have a closing word of prayer. Father, thank you so much that today we can be in this place and we can look across the room and see members of our spiritual family. Thank you that you've made it possible for us to be surrounded by others of like faith and like belief a common understanding of truth, a common destination in heaven. Father, I pray that we can learn to value this tribe and value this church. And Father, where we are detached or remote, where we are aloof, help us to take steps into fellowship so that we can gain the joy that comes from walking with a family of faith today. Move in a powerful way in these lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.